The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. April 9th, 2019. The madness is over. Welcome to HTM Sports. My name is not Jargo. That is the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HTM Sports. It's me. It's me. It's that auto the beat of the V. Feeling relieved. Feeling relieved that we're talking about something other than pro wrestling after uh, the weekend that we had. Isn't that the truth, man? Isn't that the truth? I, the WrestleMania hangover is a very real thing. I didn't even watch Monday Night Raw, and I have the WrestleMania hangover. But, of course, last night I spent most of my night trying to catch up on the madness that is the Final Four. Rick, that's where we have to start. Virginia winning the national championship. But, of course, we didn't get a chance to talk at all about the Final Four. So let's go back to Saturday. Texas Tech takes down Michigan State 61-51. to this one actually caught me a bit by surprise. I expected Michigan State to go in there and handle business against Texas Tech, but man, the Red Raiders are just full of piss and vinegar coming into that game, and we saw it again last night against Virginia. Well, I was going to say, you know, going back to the Elite Eight and how exciting that round of action was, uh, we were just hoping to, you know, to get something in the Final Four, and it did not disappoint uh, every one of those games. The team's absolutely bringing it. Uh, taking, you know, taking each other to task, testing, testing, you know, just an intestinal fortitude of their opponents and, and did not disappoint. And that led us right into the championship game where only the eighth time uh, since the uh, NCAA's tournament history uh, that we had an overtime game. Uh, very fitting and two very tough teams. And I am with you, you know, uh, Texas Tech continued to surprise throughout this thing. It's, they were counted out time after time. Very gritty. Even last night uh, in that overtime where the game was, you know, obviously out of reach. They're still hustling up and down, you know, looking for any opportunity. This team did not give up. Hat tip to them for a fantastic, uh, you know, runner up finish. Yeah, I, Texas Tech looked absolutely wonderful throughout the course of this thing. Virginia sneaks past Auburn on Saturday. That was really the big one. That's the one that everybody's talking about. We'll get to did Auburn get screwed in just a second. But 63-62, to 62, Kyle Guy makes three free throws with .6 seconds left on the clock. Number one, if it's a foul, you have to call it. I don't care how much time is on the clock, and that was clearly a foul. But, you know... The thing that we're not talking about is Kyle Guy going to the line and making not one, not two, 
But three free throws to give his team the lead, the amount of pressure that was on this kid to go up there and deliver, regardless if you agree with whether it was a foul or not, which I do. Rick, what do you think? Do you blow the whistle or do you swallow it in that situation? No, I'm with you. You know, if there is time on the clock, if if play is happening, you abide by the rules. You do it at any point in that game from the tip to the final buzzer. If something goes down, it is that official's duty you know, to make the to make the calls on the court as they see them, and I agree with you. I, I believe there was a foul there. You know, there is dispute if there was, if there wasn't. But, you know that that's the human element of the game, and it is it is their job. They are put there in that very important position to make those calls. They did, and I. But I'm with you. I don't want to spend too much time lingering on you know a call. Would you you know Would you have just let it played out? Give them a fresh clock to go with here. Let's talk about you know the real hero here. Clutch, Mr. Clutch, going to the line, not once, not twice, but three times. And Drink. and CBS went to a freaking commercial break after the second one. So he had to sit there and think about that third one for three freaking minutes. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Network, for icing the kicker, right? Right. That's pretty much what it was. That's got to stop. If I'm the NCAA, that's a conversation I'm having with CBS, and I'm saying, uh-uh. No, we're not doing media timeouts in between free throws. That's not happening. Yeah, you know, at that point, too, it, and that had to be an extra one they were squeezing in just for that moment because they know, all right, we've got these people hooked. Ain't nobody uh, tuning out now. Uh, obviously, yeah, that's on the network, you know, just being being stingy themselves because they have already, at that point, with point six, they've already gotten through, you know, the allotted or what they should have. They've hit their quota for their breaks. So now they're just squeezing things in here, trying to milk this thing. You got this poor, this poor kid out there, national spotlight, a trip to the finals on the line. Hey, ice water in his veins, stone cold esque. Uh oh, I'm afraid that Rick Take is frozen. Oh, he's back. Throughout the, hold on, a theme throughout this tournament, and I know it's gonna, you know, it's gonna maybe be a little bit of a transition for you here. To see that the players that had been there or, you know, your upperclassmen, to see them shine, to see the teams that have grown together come together to make this run in the dance, uh, to make this, you know, this version of March Madness so spectacular. Uh, that to me was something unique to see, you know, talk, you know, to speak to, you know, our beloved, you know, Duke Blue Devils, you know, when they were eliminated, so many people, oh, they were so overrated. No, let's remember. Although they were, they, well, they are tremendous talents individually, but this is a team game and they had just come together. They were freshmen. Uh, I would have, I would go to, I'll give those naysayers, I'll say maybe overhyped. Yes. Uh, but you know, that's just, that, that comes along with, you know, being a fanatic where it's our, it's our natural instinct, you know, to want to be excited, uh, to get overhyped, to get invested with something. And you can do that with something fresh like that. You know, just kind of familiar with the Fab Five. You know, they got two shots at it and could, couldn't get there because they ran into teams that that had played together that had the experience. Well, and, and this is one of those things. It's kind of like what we were talking about with NXT TakeOver versus a lot of the independent wrestling shows that we watched this week, that there's a difference between a greatest hits album and an actual album that is well thought out and the track order is so important. When you look at these teams, yeah, like Duke, the the biggest number of hits 
play for Duke right now. There's going to be three first-round picks in the NBA draft. Trey Jones returning to Duke for his sophomore season. Otherwise, it'd be four. All right, but that doesn't mean that they're as good of a team as what Texas Tech is. It's Tommy by the Who, where you've got these guys. Most there's a lot of juniors on that team, especially that have been playing together for three years. They have the chemistry. Experience speaks volumes in a tournament like this, and this is one of the arguments that I'm going to use later because we're going to talk about the one and done thing. This makes the tournament better when you have a bunch of really good teams as opposed to a bunch of really good players. Well, I, by, by better, it makes it more competitive. And I think that's what we got from this tournament. Uh, but let's not, let's not lie to ourselves. You know, these, those high ratings were because of the likes of the spectacular studs like a King Zion. I am dying to see the ratings from that game last night. Uh, one other thing that we have to talk about when it comes to Virginia and Auburn is as much as that was a foul to me and you have to blow that whistle. Did Auburn get screwed? Because that was clearly a double dribble that the referee swallowed the whistle on that went into this play before it even happened. This play should have never happened. There should have been no foul to even happen because that was clearly a double dribble. If you're going to swallow the whistle there, you have to swallow it at the other end. I just want consistency. I don't care which end of the spectrum you go on, if you just let them play or if you're going to call everything, but it's got to be the same way, both ways. I I think the way that thing played out, when you break it down in slow-mo, yes, it is very easy for us to sit there and armchair quarterback this thing, second-guess the call on the floor. But the motion between the players there, it was quite awkward, even the positioning of the official at that time. And again, this is the human element. So they are calling it as they see it. You're talking about the very best in their profession, you know, calling it right there. Obviously, I, you know, there can be the conspiracy individuals out there if something is fixed, if there's a fix in on something like that, is, you know, is it a work? That's always going to be there. But until proven otherwise, you know, we just have to chalk things, certain things up to the human element of the game. So let's talk about the national championship. Virginia claiming the title over Texas Tech, 85-77 in overtime. This thing was still on TV when I got to work last night. It was an absolute nightmare as with a multitude of other things wrong. It's amazing that building is still standing after I wasn't there for four days. Uh, Rick, did you get to watch any of the game? Because I know you had to be going back and forth between Raw after Mania and the championship game. Uh, I actually, last night, I watched, I tuned over to, uh, flipped over to the championship game with two minutes left in regulation. So I watched that through, through the overtime. But for the sake of our conversation here today, this morning, I did go back and essentially watch it. It was a good matchup. Um, I, there's a lot of people that are unhappy because 85-77 in overtime does not, s- strike people as a championship game. They, they, they were looking for, like the NFL, the NBA, scoring is up in every facet of sports, except when you talk about college basketball. This was not necessarily the flashiest game by any means from what I have seen of it, but I thought this was a great comeback for Virginia. I feel awful for Texas Tech, who it absolutely seemed like all the momentum was in their favor, like they were going to have this thing wrapped up. And then Virginia comes back and just does what Virginia does. And as soon as this thing went to overtime, we talked about this before. As soon as you get to overtime inside of this tournament, the good teams elevate themselves. As soon as it went to overtime, I knew this game was over. Well, in this, you know, it's just not professional wrestling. It's the entire world that we live in is this dot, dot, dive dynamic. 
we saw this with the Super Bowl. They go back to a classic defensive struggle, uh, a showdown, showdown, do it, do it you know, down, get, get dirty, dirty in your trenches, trenches and, and people, people freak out. out. You know, calling it one of the worst of all time just because they've become accustomed to the over the top, you know, depthifying, high flying, high impact world of professional sports that we live in. Going in, if you knew anything about college basketball, you knew anything about these teams, you were not going to get that. They're slow-paced. They're grounded pound. They're going to work you inside. They're going to play good old fundamentals, and that's exactly what we got here, and each team executed it to a damn near perfection. Kyle Guy goes for 24. DeAndre Hunter, 27 points, 9 rebounds. Congratulations to Virginia. They finally got the chip off of their shoulder. And, you know, that chip was well-earned. They put that chip there last year when they got taken out by a 16. Is this redemption for this Virginia team? Oh, you have to believe so. Everything to come full circle. The total embarrassment of being the number one overall, the first number one seed to ever be upset by a 16. They have to live with that the entire year. And all the success that they had this year, you know, going into the ACC tournament as the number one seed there, which means they obviously won the regular season, making a run, you know, lasting deep into that tournament. Obviously, you know, struggling, couldn't get, you know, Duke got them three times this year. Wondering about that as well. You know, if the Blue Devils were still going to be in this thing, it would have been a finals. They had to be looking forward to that. Also, while looking over their shoulder about all of these people that had a target on them that wanted to knock them off again and to embarrass them again. This has to be a completely feel-good moment just, you know, for, for the players, for the coaches, for the families, for the faculty, for the for everybody involved. All right, let's talk about a school that's not necessarily as happy, and that is UCLA. UCLA's coaching carousel woes have come to its conclusion after 100 days. It took them 100 days to find a new basketball coach at UCLA. Originally, we had heard that they were after John Calipari. Then they wanted the gentleman from TCU, but the buyout was too big. Then we heard that it was going to be Rick Barnes from Tennessee, who signs a new deal at Tennessee, $3.25 million this year. It's going to go up to $3.75. Calipari gets $9.2 million a year after incentives, and he now has a lifetime contract with the University of Kentucky. There's a million different ways to look at this thing because – Head coach inside of NCAA basketball might be the most coaching, most important coaching position in all of collegiate sports. We see it with Coach K, we see it with Patino, all the way around. Now UCLA has found their coach. Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the new head coach of the UCLA Bruins? Because I know you're very familiar. Well, I was going to say, you know, is talking with you this morning and we were kind of just reviewing the run briefly and you went off to, to La La Land to, to get some rest after the madness it had almost caused some madness within you last night. Within 10 minutes of that here locally in, in Southern Ohio, news broke. The buzz was out there. Everyone was talking that uh, UC's a local hometown guy, uh, the beloved Mick Cronin will be departing. Cincinnati and be heading to UCLA. Uh, at first, you know, a lot of people, even from outside of, of people up north, other people from around the states were asking me, immediately messaging me, what is the vibe there in Cincinnati? This has to be devastating. Now, while the fans here are upset, it's very understandable. This, this is the, the timing is right. Uh, Mr. Cronin is looking for that next opportunity. He has achieved what he has wanted to achieve here. He has uh, assembled a very impressive resume 
Uh, we'll run through some of those numbers through this conversation of what he has put together. You know, he comes from a tremendous background. He is a student of Bob Huggins uh, and then uh, Patino down in Louisville, spent many a time there with them, came back to Cincinnati, took over a, a program that was an absolute in rebuilt that uh, here nine appearances in the tournament they have struggled there but he knows how to get the wins together knows how to get the teams there he's brought in for you know what is probably on the back end of those mid-majors right now in Cincinnati some tremendous talents he's put together some amazing teams a, a truly great mind he is on the edge of technology when it comes to the things that they're implementing for their players even it's I mean it, in their rooms that with their mood lighting uh, the colors that you wake up to in the morning to make sure that your your, your brain activity is starting to trigger psychology of it. It's the same yes. reason that the the visitors' locker room at the at Kinnick Stadium for the University of Iowa is pink. There we go. I mean, it's all the way down to if you watch the Bearcats out there in warmups, uh, they have specialty headphones on that know you know there was different beats and sounds that are getting you on your flow that go along with your movement. They wear you know, different colored shades while they're shooting for, you know, just to get their moods. As, as you bring it up, you know, it's a psychological game. They are willing to test all that. He is very cutting edge. It's very progressive. He gets along a tremendous recruiter. His players absolutely love him. Now, I know the big question out there is, you know, with all of this, you know, everything he, that he's been able to put together, this resume, how cutting edge he is, you know, why wasn't he able to find true success in Cincinnati, all the troubles getting out of the first weekend of the tournament? Well, it's quite simple. Cincinnati is in a very weak conference, and especially with their basketball program, there is that glass ceiling, and it's set very low, and they've been beating their head against it for a while. They have unfortunately not been able to shatter through. They cannot get any serious interest from the major conferences. So what this is for Cronin is to be able to take this skill set, take this resume, take what he can offer. Now he has set himself up in the Pac-12. He's going to you know, get a little more exposure. He can bring students in, student players into a, a larger dynamic with with the ability for them to, you know, to grow their options a little more. This is a great move for him. And I think, you know, in this entire message you laid out for UCLA is going to be a blessing in disguise for them. For how long? I don't know, because I also see this as a springboard for growing into a much bigger job. Um, there. Th- there's a million ways to spin this thing. I, number one, I find it incredibly ironic because Cronin is replacing Steve Alford, who is the old coach from the University of Iowa, and the University of Iowa beat Cincinnati inside of the tournament this year. So it's just, it's ironic all the way around. Um, I can tell you this, the University of Iowa and Iowa Faithful celebrated the day that Steve Alford decided that he was going to take the job at UCLA because we absolutely hated him and we knew that he was a cancer and we knew that he wasn't going to do well at UCLA and boy, did he not disappoint. Um, so I guess the question is, and this is really where I wanted to come at this thing before we knew about Mr. Cronin taking the job, is, is UCLA a good job? Yes, you're in Southern California. You're in beautiful Los Angeles. It's a hell of a lot easier to talk 18 and 19 year old kids to coming to Los Angeles than it is Cincinnati, Ohio. But when you look at the history that is UCLA, and more importantly, you look at the fan base and what they demand now because of the standard that was set by John Wooden all those years ago, the amount of pressure 
on the head coach at UCLA to bring in these top-notch recruits to convince them, no, 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 you don't want to play at Kentucky. No, no, you don't want to play at Duke. You don't want to play at North Carolina. You want to come back here and rebuild the program that is the UCLA Bruins. That seems like a terrible job to me. There's no way I would want that job. And that's why we're seeing all these big name, high profile coaches say, nope, not going to do that. Well, yeah, I agree with you. You know, when we're talking about the high pro, the high profile coaches that they were, that they were chasing, that they were trying to court, I think that's a case of UCLA was trying to live up, you know, believing their own hype, that all of that was still relevant, that they could offer something over, you know, a Kentucky or even a TCU where these programs have already been built up. In that case, no, it is, it's not a desirable position. But in the case of someone like Mick Cronin, who has been sitting there just hitting his head on the ceiling, who's been handcuffed because of a conference and scheduling, this is a perfect opportunity. You know, he immediately is going to the pack. He, as you said yourself, you know, some of those questionable players, it's going to be a lot easier to recruit that next, that, that next step up than when he was getting at UC or those next couple steps up. Going to UCLA, sunny California, the beaches and all of that, you're going to be – you've got national television deals. Everybody has national television you're going to be deals at this point. Some of the mild success, the name UCLA carries enough weight for certain individuals where that is, a, that is an attractive pitch. But like I said, I don't know even if this is a long-stay job for – for Cronin, I think this is okay. You've shown everything you can do. As I said, he, he was he has been one of the probably the best assistant coaches college basketball has seen in the last uh, thirty years. And I'm going to put him over how great he was at that and how much he had helped there. And he's shown that he has been able to you know carry that over into the head coaching position. Now let's see if he can take that up a step. If he can find some mild success there in rebuilding this program, getting them back where they're in a conversation any point next season for a conference championship, getting them back to the dance, you know, on a regular, on a regular, you know, schedule, then he is going to grab the attention of truly one of the schools that are, you know, under the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the UNCs that are looking to break through, you know, a, as we were sitting here talking about this year's Final Four, you know, outside of – well, Virginia, they weren't there, you know, that long ago. They've been building up for their <laughs> program. You know, that's within the last, what, five, six years. Yeah. You know, Michigan State definitely is always there. <laughs> but, but yeah, Virginia, this was their first championship game ever. Texas Tech's first championship game ever. Auburn's a team on the rise with a coach like Bruce Pearl. So for those teams like that that are looking for that great leader to get them to, you know, that level and then hopefully find that kind of success – they're going to be looking for a Mick Cronin. And now that he has a spot like like UCLA, the Pac-12, and all of their deals, you know, he's going to be primed to make that move. Speaking of the University of Iowa, if anybody wants to take Fran McCaffrey off our hands, I'll, I'll throw the same party that I did for Steve Alford. Uh, one thing that Cronin's going to have to do out at UCLA is he's going to have to get in on this one-and-done thing. Uh, we, we saw Coach K embrace it years ago. Obviously, Calipari long before Coach K even embraced it. But now, Rick, it seems as though the one and done is bringing on a whole new meaning. And we, we, we saw Coach K talking about the relationship between the NBA and the NCAA over the tournament. We saw Tom Izzo talking about it. This is an absolute nightmare 
for college basketball coaches. And the reason these college coaches are getting paid eight, nine million dollars a year signing lifetime contracts is because they have the clout that they can go into little mama Jones's living room and get their son to come to Duke or Kentucky or Louisville or UNC on down the line. That's the culture that Cronin is going to have to create. It also seems as though Nick Saban may have to create that culture because it seems as though the one and done is making its way to NCAA football and Nick Saban is not happy about it. Now, people are probably wondering, no, no, you can't go into the NFL until you're 22. Yeah, that's great. But the XFL, there's no age limit. There's no age limit. You can go straight out of high school to the XFL and get paid. And now we're seeing a lot of these uh, college players that are saying, man, you know, if I can make money in the XFL, maybe I should just go do that instead. And suddenly Nick Saban's losing half of his recruiting class as opposed to four or five guys. The NCAA coaches are not happy about this. And you know who doesn't give a damn? Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Well, yeah, what do you... was there an age limit with the uh, the alliance? Um, I'm not sure, but it was what they really wanted was a NFL developmental league. So I would assume that they would have to go off of the same prerequisites as what the well, NFL and, players and that's, association and that's what I'm was. Thinking, that's what I'm thinking here about the the evil mastermind that is Vince McMahon. You, you know, if you're looking at how you're going to survive this thing. Hmm. Obviously, you're not going to compete with the NFL. No one's going to really, you know, touch that kind of money at this stage in the game. You know, the history, as we said, the financial making of it, how people are invested. The alliance was relying on becoming a feeder, of becoming their their D league uh, to the NBA, if you will. So Vince McMahon sitting back here says, "Okay, you know, how am I going it in to you know into be fair to the alliance? They were good there. They went out and aligned themselves, no pun intended, with a." a a handful of ex-NFL stars, people that were involved in their union and all that, that understood the inner workings of all that, who were going to be able to bridge that gap. So even Vince there realizes if it comes down to having to be, you know, where they're going to rely on you as a feeder league, they're going to go to this, to the alliance, and I'm going to be pushed out. So what alternative can I go at here? Okay, so instead of, you know, little Johnny going to Nebraska – and having to attend class and worrying about all these regulations and faculty up his, up his rear end, I'll offer him $250,000 a year. If he's, if he's got that much hype, he can go out and work endorsements. So he's going to be able to, you know, up his financials in that area. That's the angle he's going with here. Well, and suddenly what really what this this does not affect football programs like Cincinnati. This does not affect football programs like the University of Iowa. This affects well, your USC. This affects Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, where you're seeing these kids that are coming in and they're and Nick Saban will say, listen, kid, here's what we need you to do. You come in, you sit for two years and you play behind this guy and then you'll be the quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Nope. Fuck you. I'm going to go make $750,000 on national TV and then go to the NFL. I don't need Alabama. That's well, no. really what they're worried about well, here. Well, I, I disagree with you there. This affects everybody in college football. You're talking about a UC because Alabama's not going to cut roster spots. They're right, but how many, how many, 
how many freshmen playing for the University of Cincinnati are good enough to be playing professional football right now? That number is very different than what it is at a team like Alabama no, LSU. You're, you're missing, That's the point. I, under, I understand this. You're missing this point, though. Alabama still needs players. So when they take the five-star and the four-star, and let's say you know, you're know you a Cincinnati and you get, two, you get threes and twos, well, now there's a lesser pool. So Alabama's going to have point. to start taking three pools. You know, So That's now, I should say, you're taking two and one stars. So you get a trickle down. So you're going to see a huge drop off there going down the line because you still have to fill that complete roster for the powerhouses, for the Ohio States, the, the Alabamas, the Floridas like that. And to do that, they're going to take the top players that used to be available to your mid-majors. That's a good point. Um, the other narrative that's going out there that I feel like we need to kill is this thing about the AAF. And the reason that they folded that now don't get me wrong. The league was absolutely in financial trouble, but you and I both know that when you start a business, you'd better not be expecting to make money for three to five years because that's just not going to happen. So I think that part of it was expected. What killed the AAF and it was a flawed business plan from the very beginning. And it's this damn deal with the NFL players association to become a feeder league. That was the intention. That was always the intention and that deal was never in place. And then when they found out that deal wasn't going to happen, they killed the league. Aside from all the financials, which is what everybody is talking about, this was a terrible business plan straight out of the gate. Vince McMahon is not going that route. He's not trying to be a developmental league to the NFL. Do you think the XFL stands a better chance than what the AAF had? Well, I think, you know, in, in life lessons, Vince McMahon has never really been one to rely on others moving forward. Uh, love or hate the man, he has realized that he needs to stand on his own two feet. And if that means some underhanded tactics at times, you know, he's not afraid to play dirty, uh, but that's what he's had to do to survive. And as I said, you know, hate, like, or love the guy, it's hard to argue with results. I mean, he's, in business, you swing and miss quite a bit. It's easy to make fun of him for those things, but you're out there trying. And the things that he has succeeded at, he's been very successful. I, I know as you know, rest, wrestling fans and a great deal of our listeners here, you know, across the line, there are professional wrestling fans and like to get on them about the wrestling product. But the bottom line is, the company is more successful than it has ever been before, and he's not afraid to make those kinds of moves, you know, to achieve to achieve greatness. So if he's kind of wants to, I don't know, poke the bear a little bit, and it seems, you know, now what he's doing, it's not so much that he, in terms of professional sports, is going at the NFL, he's leaving them alone. He just knows that he can go pick on college football. And I think, you know, the dangerous thing is out of the gate as we were talking about, hey, am I going to go sit just for the prestige of one day hoping to be the Alabama quarterback? And win a national championship and, and make Saban, you know, millions and and make the university hundreds of millions. Or while I'm honing my skills, can I go make, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year? I got a little change in my pocket before I go to the draft. I'm good to go. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a very fascinating story to watch play it, out. It's way, but, but right, if he if the XFL can survive three or four years, I think you'll start seeing a lot. A lot of players starting to make that move. 
Yep. Let's throw things over to your NBA playoff preview. Uh, Rick, most of the teams are set here. We do have a little bit of uh, convolution inside of the East, but we'll talk about that in a second. Here is hey, one, one, th- one question here before we jump into the NBA. I like the little transition there. How long, if this works for the XFL, how long until the NBA? They're already talking about dropping the age back down to 17. How long do they go? Hey, all right, maybe you can't join the league until 19 or 20, but you, but can, you, can, play, you, can, play in a, you can play in our D league. Yep, you betcha. Uh, one through eight in the Western Conference. All the teams are set. We can have a little bit of shakeup as far as seeding goes still. But as things stand right now, Golden State Warriors guaranteed number one throughout the playoffs. That does not vote well for the Western Conference. Two through eight, Denver Nuggets, Houston Rockets, Portland Trailblazers, Utah Jazz, OKC, San Antonio, and those hated Los Angeles Clippers. Um, the, now, we can have a bit of jumping around as far as seeding goes because we do have San Antonio, the Clippers, and the Thunder all basically one's 40, all the same amount of wins. OKC up one in the loss column because they haven't played that many games. So we can see some seedings kind of work its way out here. But Rick, what I really want to see, I want to see Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. That's really what I want to see. I'm with you 100% there. And how about the news this week? They have the the secret uh, players polling with the different categories and tied for most overrated in the league. We have these two would be representing these two teams. One of them there, which to me, I'm surprised there was a tie with the, was it, it was green, right? Mm -hmm. Green and Westbrook. I'm surprised that Westbrook did not run away with this thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the other matchup that I'm kind of eyeing is the Denver Nuggets and San Antonio Spurs. I think I think Cinderella could be afoot because I think the Spurs can get Denver. With their playoff experience and Coach Pop, I think I'll take the Spurs in a seven game series. Yeah, I'm with you. It's you know, it, it's a different it's a different game. It's a different season. And you come down to you know, we were talking to you know, make the comparison to college basketball. When you've been there, you've done that, you're seasoned, you're a veteran, it, it changes the game. Let's throw things over to the East. Things are way more complicated when you get into the Eastern Conference, with the exception of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have clenched the best record in all of basketball this year. That just seems insane to me. Is that because they're in the East? I think, yeah, it just speaks to the situation, because we're in the East. And you look at the scheduling there. Hey, but you know what? Hey, good for that. Hey, you, you play with the structure you're given, right? Yeah. You can't you can't hate it on anybody for playing within within the rules that's set before before them. Yep. Uh, so here's two through eight as it stands right now: Toronto Raptors, Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics, Indiana Pacers, Brooklyn Nets, Orlando Magic, with the Pistons in the final playoff spot. But we have the Hornets. And the Miami Heat, only one game back, some with two games to play, some with three games to play. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing kind of shakes out at the bottom. Rick, I, I've been thinking forever that Boston was going to right the ship and Boston was still the team to beat inside of this thing. I feel like the East is wide open right now. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's as you build, you know, the old saying, the Wild West. I think it's the Wild East right now. This thing is anyone's ball game. Hey, I still like the Pacers in this thing. I think they can pull something together. But I, what, what I'm really interested in, what I'm watching here on this, you know, this final stretch, 
is that eight spot. As you had mentioned, I'd really so love to see Miami get in there to D-Wade. see Wade just get one more crack in the playoffs, even if it's, you know, one round and done, just to have those introductions for him, those moments, uh, just a little more time with, you know, one of the, the greats of our time. Hey, where you where you at on the, the argument between the, the better career, Wade or Pierce? Oh, man. Um, I think I lean Paul Pierce, but... Oh, well, it's okay. I, I, I think I lean Paul Pierce just because of the way that Celtics team came together. I, I, I feel like the Miami Heat were put together to take down the Celtics. I mean, that, that Celtics team was so freaking dominant that's that that's, that's why D. Wade and the Heat happened. All right, all right, well... Next week, I'm representing the Wade camp. We're, we're going to come out on this one. I love we're, me we're some D Wade. Let me. Say, I, if, if I was starting a franchise and I could have one of the two as a player, I would absolutely take Dwayne Wade. Do I think I just kind of think it's funny there. You're you're framing careers on the success small, of the team. No, on small little instances. I, I'm going to look at because just that that the big three at Miami. Is just a small example of what Wade meant to that city and what he's meant to this league. Paul Pierce was uh, a hell of a lot better before the big three in Boston than Dwayne Wade was before the big three in Miami. Um, let's go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about the NHL. The NHL playoffs, Rick, actually the puck drops tomorrow night. I know you're not a big hockey fan, but I know that you're Columbus Blue Jackets are actually going to be in the playoffs this year. You going to watch yourself some hockey this year? Well, hey, hold on. I'm going to pull a little Rob Van Dam. And only because you're paying me to do this show, that's the only reason I know that the NHL still exists, You know, much like him in Impact Wrestling. Tremendous. Well played. But, hey, you know what? It's Hockey was one of my early loves in sports. And I'm not going to sit here and knock because, yes, I have been studying here because I know we're gearing up for the playoffs, and it is one of the most exciting times in sports. But you talk about almost a useless regular season, unless you're just an absolute diehard for hockey. Uh, a useless regular season. But to speak to the Blue Jackets, uh, a little bit of buzz here around Ohio, especially in the well, a lot in the Columbus area. That's where they got their great fan base. Ohio, not really an over-the-top hockey town. Uh, a lot of love for the minors, but not the professional level. But I think it's – you know, the the allure with the Blue Jackets kind of worn off because they seemed to really struggle in the playoffs. You know, it just wasn't until, like, recently that they, that they even won a series. Um, how much of that had to do with the fact that the Cleveland Cavaliers were so good and everybody was on the NBA playoffs in Ohio? Uh, that's not necessarily as true. Ohio is very, very weird. It's almost as if, you know, there certainly is two states within one. It's you kind of have like that Columbus and Columbus is that really that great divide. They have a little bit of a buffer between like Columbus and Dayton. But really, when you get around that Dayton, Southern or Southern Ohio area, no one really cares about the NBA. It's pure college on almost every level outside. It's, you know, it's baseball, college sports and then, you know, like NFL. The only thing that's the common ground throughout the state. It's, you know what? I can't even, I can't even honestly say that because you get down into Southern Ohio and it's not as dominant Buckeye country because there's so many other programs Kentucky that people are interested. Well, you've got just not Kentucky, but you got Notre Dame, you got Indiana, you got Xavier, Cincinnati. There, there's so many other, you know, teams like this melting pot area where there's not really a dominant. And then when you get to Cincinnati area, high school sports are very dominant and much more emphasis 
you know, focus from those that live in that area on high school sports all around than anything collegiate, really. Yeah, Friday night lights, man. It's that way in Iowa, too. Some of these small towns actually shut down at about 6 o'clock on Friday nights for high school football. Well, you've got, you know, Ohio, when it comes to, you know, as a feeder to the college system, or soon soon to be to, to the XFL, Ohio, as a state, is usually three or four. Yeah. You know, outside of Florida, Texas, California, well, if they're in that four or five range, then you got like Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, kind of that kind of rotate in that area there. And Cincinnati kind of rules the roost in Ohio when it comes to putting out, you know, that next crop of collegiate athletes for football. Well, on a positive note, you won't have to care about the NHL for very long in the great state of Ohio because you're going to be out in the first round this year. Uh, the, the way the East plays out, you have the Tampa Bay Lightning. Boston Bruins, Washington Capitals, New York Islanders, Toronto Maple Leafs, Pittsburgh Penguins, Carolina Hurricanes, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is one of those things, man, where when I look at this thing and we talk about experience and and time in the playoffs and the prestige of the whole damn thing, it would not surprise me at all to see Pittsburgh come out of the damn East. Not even a little bit. Yeah, again, you know, it's it's one of the most grueling tasks in all of sports just to run through these playoffs and to claim the Stanley Cup. And it's all about being there. It's all about knowing how, as we said, you know, like the NBA, this is a second season. It starts all over again. And when it comes to the NHL, there is no other truer sense, you know, to, to the old verbiage with it. It seems like the NHL, though, for some reason, you get a lot more upsets. And a lot of these, like, first-round series will go, like, seven games. And it's just the nature of hockey because you get a hot goaltender two weeks before the season ends. You can ride that some bitch all the way to the damn finals. It's all a matter of getting hot when is really what happens inside of the NHL. The West shakes out Calgary Flames with the best record in all of hockey this year. The San Jose Sharks, Nashville Predators, Winnipeg Jets, St. Louis Blues. They suck. The Dallas Stars, the Vegas Golden Showers, I mean Knights, the Colorado Avalanche pulling up the rear. You will notice no Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs this year. It's a very, very sad year. Once again, for my beloved Blackhawks, we got to figure something out with this team because the NHL is better when Chicago is good. It's the same thing with the NBA. You know, we're hearing all this talk about potentially Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving hooking up in New York, especially if Zion would end up there. The league is better when the Knicks are good and not an absolute dumpster fire. Uh, Rick, do you have any thoughts when it comes to either the East or West when it comes to the playoffs? Well, I say, you know, we were talking about the East there a little bit, but to speak to the West, we're talking about rich in tradition, knowing how to get it done. Uh, Calgary at the top, you know, in an incredible year. You gotta, you gotta believe that they'll be able to hit another level. You know, this isn't, hey, we, we've, we found some success in the regular season. They're going to be able to hit another level. They know how to do it. They've been there. They've seen it done time after time. One of the league's oldest franchises, I believe. Yep. Watch out for them. Don't be surprised. We were talking about upsets. Don't be surprised to just see the number one. Just not not cruise through this thing. You don't cruise through any Stanley Cup playoff, uh, but to advance through this thing and, and maybe claim the, the cup at the end. But also surprisingly, hey, uh, the defending champs in the seventh seed, don't sleep on them as well. Yeah. I The NHL is so much fun. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. I love it even more when the Blackhawks are in it. Um, the one that I got circled in the West is the Nashville Predators. Rusev and his beloved Nashville Predators. If you got to go into Nashville and you've got to win a big game, good luck. 
that's one of the best atmospheres in sports that nobody talks about is down there in Nashville for Predators games. If, if you have a chance and you happen to be sitting around and it's like a Tuesday, Wednesday night and there's nothing on the television, you see that the Predators are playing at home, flip over to that game, watch that crowd. It's like being at Cameron Indoor. It's absolutely say, ridiculous. You make the mention, Rusev will probably be rocking there at a couple of those games, represent his team. If it's not already in existence, it needs to be tremendous crossover marketing. We need some happy Predators Day t-shirts. Yes. Yes, yes, Rusev and Lana, super over in Nashville. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of HTM Sports. Thanks for watching and or listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then hit us at hittingthemarks.com for all of the daily content at this point from the HTM Podcast Network. If you enjoy the sound of me and Rick's voice in your ear holes, you can go back and listen to us for like the last five days freaking straight. It's absolutely obscene, the amount of content we have put out in the last few days. Until then, you can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Find me on Twitter at NotJargo. RBV, how do the people find you? I was going to say, it's just hey, my marketing mind is, is exploding now. We've got Happy Predators Day, Nashville number one. Find me across all social media at the real RBV. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Friday. That's right. We're taking a couple of days off. We'll talk to you Friday on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya!